This podcast was produced for Quad by wordofmouthcreative.com. Quad is provocative and popular. Ho, ho, how's it going, listeners? Welcome to another podcast. This episode is entitled December 2010 and comes to you despite the efforts of Mother Nature and a barrage of sub-Antarctic temperatures. After taking a few snow days off, we've de-iced the reindeer, cleared the driveway and unwrapped the microphone and are ready to inundate you with information once more. My name is Christopher Wakeman and I will be your guide through the world of quad, picking out the choice cuts of everything we've got to see and do at quad this month, whilst throwing in a few features and interviews here and there from the people in the know. Without further ado, let's get down to business and find out what you can get up to at Quad this holiday season. Quad is groundbreaking, inspiring, fulfilling and fun. There's plenty to do at Quad this Christmas. The Don't Panic Gift Bazaar runs again this year on Friday the 10th and Saturday the 11th of December from 11am until 6pm. A variety of stalls will line the Quad floors, selling original crafts and locally made products that will make perfect gifts and stocking fillers. Our BFI MediaTek is host to a variety of Christmas-themed pieces throughout December, including classic scenes from Christmas variety shows of the past, Christmas Day in the Workhouse from 1914, and the Father Christmas Union from 1972. Something for everyone, from the traditionalist to the bitterest of cynics. And from the 13th to the 18th of December, from 6 till 6.30pm, why not pop into Quad for a relaxing hot drink and listen to the children's choirs of local schools singing their festive favourites. As for films this Christmas, our cool Yule schedule this year offers something for everyone. From the unbeatable classics of It's a Wonderful Life, book early for that one, and The Wizard of Oz, to the comedy stylings of The Muppets Christmas Carol, my favourite Christmas movie ever. And, for a twisted take on Christmas mythology, why not check out Rare Exports, a dark adventure comedy from Finland in which a group of researchers dig up the original Saint Nick and let him loose on an unsuspecting community. Check the quad brochure or ask at the box office for more details. Next, it's time for an interview with Debbie Cooper, a member of the participation team here at Quad, which is all about encouraging the local community to interact with Quad and the arts in fun and exciting ways. I sat down with Debbie to ask her what participation has been getting up to and how you can get involved. Right, so I'm here with Debbie Cooper, who works at Quad as part of the participation team. Um, and I suppose the first thing, really, to get people aware of what it is that you guys do is, what is participation and Quad? How does it all fit together? Well, at Quad, we've got quite a strong participation team, and we work on a whole range of projects, from Arts for Health to um, community projects to gallery engagement and uh, mass participation. Lots of people may have taken part during Fest. We did lots of mass participation projects. Is that something that when Quad was first set up as well now, which is over two years ago, it was always about as well getting people as involved as possible? It's, it's a very big part of Quad. Um, the Arts for Health programme and Q Club in particular has been running for seven or eight years, so that's still going and was running before Quad was the company it is. Mm. Young people who are on the autistic spectrum meet here every week. They do animation and all sorts of digital activities. Staying Safe is a partnership between Derby City Safety Partnership and the police and a primary school in Normanton. And that's looking to support individuals who are vulnerable through strategies of support, help and to protect them while using the arts to look at various issues from equality and prejudice within that area. It's bad space as much as anything about specifically targeting certain groups as well or do you try and open it up to as wide amount of people as possible within each event. 
We do both strands of that. So those projects I just spoke about are very much targeted to a couple of groups. Um, in Arts for Health, we've got two great projects going at the moment, which one is for young parents, and we're always looking for more people to come on that. That's on Tuesdays, and we're looking at parents aged between 16 and 25 with babies under two years. And also, we're just piloting uh, Gold Squad, which is um, another Arts for Health project, and we're looking at participants aged 50+. Plus, and what we make with them will be led by them. So we're looking to get as many people involved, look at what they want to make, what they want to create, who want to discuss what art means to them and raise issues about health and well-being. But also we're writing a lot of projects that are more about gallery engagement to get people here either at the weekends or in the evenings to appreciate what the art's happening here. During Fest, um, a big mass participation project called Shoot Derby, where we had over 1,200 people come and take photographs and create a whole new photo story for the city. And that worked so well, we're looking to run similar projects during format at the International Photography Festival, where we can hopefully get similar numbers of people out in the streets getting engaged with the art that we do here. Since you've been going then, what have been, do you think, the most successful moments in the participation scheme of things? One thing I do know about is, is Shoot Derby, because I did work on that project. And like I say, we had over 1,200 people come take part. We had so much positive feedback from people saying they hadn't had chance to work in a creative brief. Mm-hmm. And we've realised that that's very important to people, to get an opportunity to be creative in their own way and unique way to them. So we're writing at the moment small projects which highlight that area that give people a unique experience. We are hoping to do more and more mass participation. We'd like to offer more things for people to engage with the gallery because we have wonderful work here and lots of people have already come to us and said they'd like to make craft work or maybe do life drawing. So we're looking into those strands. So I mm. think people need to keep keep an eye on what's coming up in the next year. Is that, do you think, fundamentally what makes these things successful when people are doing something themselves i think so i think people really like to feel they're engaging with the work and it's not just something they they walk around and look at so we're constantly looking at what ways that can be done i mean our next big exhibition is format so we're all got our, our thinking caps on to find out what's the best way for people to engage with that but further up in the year we've got aesthetic photojournalism coming up and we've got Ha Ha Road which is both very exciting exhibitions and we're already busy writing participation for that. Cool. We want people to engage with Quad as much as they can. Absolutely, yeah. Is there anything else you think in the participation calendar that people should be keeping a, a keen eye out for? Well, one thing we had some great feedback from during shoots is we ran a trial singles night and that was we had a lot of feedback from that. People really enjoyed it, a singles night for creatives in the city. So we're just in the middle of working out if we can run some more of those. Um, lots of people have asked us about life drawing, so we're just looking in to see if we can do that here as well. Um, but loads of that has come from the public directly. So if people do want to say, well, I'd like this to happen at Quad, come and tell us, because we're always looking for more ideas and to make people feel more at home and more welcome here. Well, how, how do people get involved with participation on that ground level? There's forms at front of house, or they could email me, which is debbyc at derbyquad.co.uk, and we can pass it that through to the participation team. And we've also got lots of other activities happen here. There's um, Knit Squad, Book Squad, Scrabalicious. There's lots of ways to get involved, and we're always looking for, for more of those. Just started a Facebook group, which is called Quad Participate, 
Now, that's a really good way to join that. And that whenever we've completed an activity, we put it up there. So lots of photographs of the work we're making. But also, um, it's a great way to put forward ideas. A few weeks ago during Gleam, um, some of the tech squad um, did... VJing workshops and the videos up there are from that and that's just wonderful they're very exciting I can't believe they made them in a day there's some really good work going up on the site Quad creates turning points remember to keep one eye on our brochure and keep checking in at Quad 2 for more information on all the events Debbie mentioned there are so many things going on at Quad that there's sure to be something up your street what's next Quad is a thriving centre for art and film, where there's always lots to see and do. A reminder that Objects of Delight, showcasing work by the likes of David Hockney, L.S. Lowry, Grayson Perry and William Nicholson, selected by a committee of Derbyshire locals, is still on show at Quad until January the 16th. And Matt Stewart's Great British Weekend Photography is also still lining our corridors as part of ID Fest, so make sure to check those out too. On Tuesday, December the 14th, Come along to Quad at 7pm to the Brian Griffin Road to 2012 Project Artist Talk, where Brian will be in conversation with Anne Braben, curator of the National Portrait Gallery in London, to talk about his work for the project which created 100 photographic portraits celebrating the people around the UK as a record for the London 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Tickets are on sale for £3 from the box office. Let's have a quick goosey at some of the best films showing at Quad this month. In December, we have on-release date screenings of Somewhere and The Way Back from the 10th and 27th of December, respectively. Both films mark the return of exciting directors in Sofia Coppola and Peter Weir, who appear to be returning to the roots that made them renowned in the first place, with the drawn-out character piece about loneliness and isolation from Coppola with Somewhere and a journeyman's epic of pain and endeavour from Weir with The Way Back, starring Ed Harris and Colin Farrell. Also, check out Monsters from the 17th to the 23rd, directed by newcomer Gareth Edwards. The film is a tense and impacting story of two strangers who must find a way home together by charting over lands contaminated by alien debris and swarming with monstrous beasts. Shot on a shoestring and featuring captivating performances from a real-life husband and wife couple, Monsters is a refreshing take on the alien invasion genre and well worth the price of admission. And why not head over to castellavista.com for an interview we did with Gareth when the film was previewed last month. Just search for The Casting Couch. The mammoth Harry Potter and the Deathly Harrows Part 1 is showing at Quad on Monday the 13th and then daily from Friday the 17th of December. The saga starts to come to a close as Harry, Ron and Hermione seek to defeat Voldemort once and for all. There's no time for Quidditch in this epic. Join us on Saturday December the 18th for a family event to celebrate the release of the Deathly Hallows, featuring a real-life wizard from the Derby Magic Circle and a fancy dress competition for those of you that come dressed as your favourite Harry Potter character. Parents can also take advantage of a fantastic deal that includes a cinema ticket and a magic-themed lunchbox for the kids, all for just £8.50. Pre-book yours at the box office today. Quad is a thriving centre for art and film, where there's always lots to see and do. In a slight twist on our usual format, we're going to close out this episode with our main feature, a conversation with Matt Greenog and Nev Pierce. Matt and Nev came to Quad in November to take part in a Q&A during ID Fest. Matt is the screenwriter of Control, which showed us part of ID Fest, and also Nowhere Boy, one of last year's most entertaining biopics. Nev is the editor-at-large of Empire Magazine, the world's highest-selling film publication. It felt like a good idea to sit the pair down and have a nice old chinwag about British cinema and the media in general. What follows is a shortened version of an hour-long conversation that took place here at Quad, 
The noise in the background is a touring carnival that tried at every attempt to distract us with thumping bass and groovy tunes, but hopefully you can hear what we talked about over the ambience. I'd like to thank Matt, Nev and Adam Buss for being part of the conversation and hope you, the listener, will enjoy what follows and find it as enlightening as I did. This interview will also be available on my sister podcast, Castle Vista, as part of our 12 Days of Castmas extravaganza. So head over to castellavista.com from the 14th of December for 12 days of original content, both audio and written. Remember, you can get in touch with me about the quadcast or quad in general by emailing chriswatt at derbyquad.co.uk. Thanks as always to producer Mark and Word of Mouth Creative. For now though, sit back and enjoy the chatter. As with all conversations between men, we couldn't resist kicking things off with a few words about sport. Baseball. Yeah, yeah, you look at Jerry Bryant and things like that. And what's that? And you give a cheat on you. I said there was a thing on radio the other day saying that the best film is baseball or cricket because they're these games that have inherent breaks in where they allow you to cut from one thing to the other. There's no good cricket film. So the argument was that they should be So you can build up the drama in between and then you have a set play. So what's going to happen? Well, I was just, well, I was just yeah. thinking the other day, I thought how whenever I've reviewed a movie about American football, I can't believe that it made me care about American football, which I do not care about at all. Oh, and I always say that, and I think, well, actually, I like a lot of American football movies, and I don't like any football movies that I've seen. No, like, sorry. Any proper football movies. Sorry, that's it. And I think it's because it's based around set pieces, and it's also because I fundamentally don't understand the sport. So there's suspense because I don't know what the hell's going on, whereas in football, obviously, you know. I offered some wise words of what made a good sports film. The argument with a good sports movie has to be that it can't just be about the sport. Actually, the sport is just a metaphor for what's going on in somebody's life. I threw in what I at first felt was a poor example to illustrate my point. Tim Cook, the last hole and that, something like that. It's absolutely emotional touch, but it works because it's just about one man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Tim Cup. <laughs> I love that bit. I love Tin Cup. Matt then offered his own example of a great sporting moment on film by naming a film that Nev had cause to commend. I love Jerry, I mean, Jerry Maguire is one of my favourites. And you know, the way that. I love Cameron Crump. The way that he knows that he can. But you build that drama up, and when he catches that ball, and even though you know it's nonsense. You just that catching that ball is has so so much dramatic tension and release when he does it in order to get that contract. Just and that's the romantic comedy, which is a proper grown-up film about relationships as well. Yeah, yeah. that's really rare, I think. Yeah. The conversation moved on to more serious issues. Did Matt think there was any difference between writing for film or television? There's no difference between film and TV and what you're writing per page. It's a visual medium whether you're looking at TV or film. And uh, I think beyond that, I think if it works for TV, then it, it should work for film. But of course you can look on the wider aspect, but if you're looking at independent film, I mean, I've watched, I'm on the Biffa jury, and I've watched a lot of independent mm. films. And a lot of them are good TV dramas that could be on BBC Four, mm. you know, and good quality things, yeah. But they're, not, they're no different. Mm to what you would find on a, on a good quality TV drama. Especially independent, small budget stuff. 
you know, they're like the two parters or something like that, and you could easily split them up. Well, film needs to have something unique, I think. Television is wallpaper and film is art. That's not, I don't mean that, mm. that there's nothing worthwhile on TV, mm. but it's but a like this themed thing. Like, I mean, I love, I think The Wire was brilliant, but it's still, it is what it is. It's just a character-based cop show, and it's a novel yeah. on, on, on film, but it's not a film. Later, Nev defined his point. But you can get away in TV with less story and more character than you can in film, if you want to succeed. And offered this simple explanation for why more people watch TV than go to the cinema. A successful television show is obviously going to be seen by loads more people than a successful movie. Well, that's just fundamentally because you've just got to do that. That's your decision when you're watching TV, to press a button, it's not get a babysitter and go out. Yeah, and hang on all that. What sort of outlets are there for the various film and TV projects that do get made? Matt had this to say. I went to Sundance last year and I thought it was, that's a kind of amazing film festival. In the way that it, it really promotes sort of films that are just, they're not going to get a proper release anyway. Even though we were there, like, things like Four Lines was there and Winter Bottoms killed inside me, which is horrible. But it's just, you know, there is a market and there is a filmmaking community there. Oh, you've got the corner house you've got here, but the problem is that a lot of good things just don't get a mass market anymore. And that's why I think a lot of things should be on television rather than yeah. rather than cinema because they will get a bigger audience. When documentary came up as a topic of conversation, Matt and Nev considered whether or not films of the genre were affected by where they were seen the big or the small screen. But I don't actually think cinema is for documentary. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, I think I've but seen... When We Were Kings was just awesome. Mm-hmm. But it could have been awesome on telly. I don't know, I mean, that's... Yeah. But mo- like most documentaries, when you do see them in the cinema, you go, oh, that's awesome. You think, you I never want to see that on telly ever. Have you seen Mugabe and the White African? No. That was really good, really good film I did this year. But again, I say film. It was on film. Brilliant. But I think if I'd seen it on telly, I would have felt probably the same way I thought about it. Do you think that's true of everybody, though? And do you think something's like... Or is it, in fact, slightly snobbish if, if, a, if a writer's saying, right, this is a film, this is a theatrical film, this is not for anywhere else? Should they really be saying that? No. I don't, I don't think they should be saying that. I think they should be saying that let's get the biggest audience we can to watch it. That's the point. When I'm writing stuff anyway, you know what I mean, is that first I want it to be made and two I want it to get out to the biggest audience possible. What did Matt and Nev have to say on the issue of marketing and its impact on quality filmmaking? I feel sometimes that good projects are lost in this world of cinema because we are getting so bombarded with, with marketing and you know, as a person that works at Empire as well, you must sometimes get a bit frustrated that some, pro- some projects or some films get this massive coverage, yeah, and some really good films just get lost. Mm. The quality versus popularity, or, or there's, no, yeah. there's not necessarily any link. Mm. There can be a link, but... You're in a marketing world, you've got to sell magazines, so you know that you've got... Mm. You know you have to put on front cover in order to do that. And, and the, you know, the problem with that is that you can lose really, really good films. 
As an ex-editor of Total Film, Neville was used to having to promote films he may not have been that interested in himself. There are plenty of films when I was editor that I really cared about, and there are lots of films I put on the, when I was editing the Total Film, which I put on the cover. Mm. I didn't give a company cuss about uh, Die Hard 4 and Grindhouse. I did not care, personally. I put them both on the cover as a joint cover. It was one of the best-selling we had, because that's about recognising what you think the movie's going to like. He then suggested reasons that this was the case, before Matt posed the question of how the issue related to cultural identity in England. This is a thing that frustrates me when people complain about uh, British film not getting an audience. Well, people get the films they deserve, yeah. really, fundamentally. They may not get the films that they... No, they, they get the films they want. They don't necessarily get what they deserve. That's a different thing. It'd be nice if people got what, got better films, but... Well, why aren't we like the French or the Italian or the Spanish? I mean, why can't we cultivate really good homegrown films rather than films try and emulate some kind of one of the American structure? Because we seem to have an idea, or some that some fails, films have an idea that we have to export an idea of Britishness to the world. I don't know. I think no one knows anything. I mean, who knew that Full Monty would do as well as Middle of the Slumdog would do as well as it did? Matt had experienced firsthand the challenges of making films in the UK and suggested the root of the problem. I think control could be easily made in you know, France and Italy, and yet over here we had so much problem doing it. Is that because, I mean? do we like, I mean, like this year it felt like <clears throat> it was between either Tamara Drew and Maiden Dagman, last year it was whatever Richard Curtis player was about. Is that, do we say, the only way this can work is if we have one film or do you feel all that way behind the promotion to make massive, to make it appeal to the largest common denominator? Yeah, and I think we've got a problem in an Americanisation of, of, of our film industry. I do think that everything that we try and pitch at the moment, people are trying to say how, but the first thing they're going to ask is how does this sell in America? Yeah. However, both Matt and Nev then argued that at the end of the day, maybe Americanisation isn't the answer for the success of our best features. Transporting didn't sell in America. Transport is one of the greatest British films of all time, I would say, yeah. and it did not sell in America. So what you have to do is really follow your gut and make yeah. the movies you want to make. But because we don't have our, you know, our cinemas or our multiplexes don't actually show British movies or no one, there's no market for it. We're in a catch-22 situation. Conversation moved on to the UK Film Council and Matt sounded disappointed that it was shut down when it was. The most sort of tragic thing about the Film Council is now that I think he was just getting his act, getting his act together. I thought Tanya, who I know, was, was a person that understood what was wrong with it. And uh, it was this sort of quango that really didn't give didn't know what he was doing because the people involved in it again like the regional people just all failed Hollywood or want to be Hollywood people so they weren't actually concentrated on the British film industry so it is actually tragic now I think it's gone under because it was just about to be given a new lease of life and I thought it could have gone on with others. We started talking about earning a living as a writer and the challenges facing new talent trying to break into the industry. Screenwriting doesn't pay very well. If someone sells a screenplay for £100,000, people go, oh, that's amazing, it's a lot of money, it's not a lot of money. Not if you spend five years working on it. <laughs> if you're a screenwriter in Britain, unless you've got an ongoing 
you know, series. If if you've only got doing one episode or two episodes, then not great. So you mean just swimming against the tide, basically? It's a good. It's not a bad living. You know what I mean? You, you're it's probably earning fifty grand a year, probably mid. If you've got, if you if you get two things made, you're probably earning fifty grand. If it's an hour long, because you probably get twenty grand, then you get twenty grand again on principal photography. So that's two episodes and sort of forty grand. That's just two on it. Yeah. That. But on a new, if you're a new writer, you probably ought to be only on like fifteen, so maybe even. Like. Then the thing is now people aren't taking on new writers because even the BBC punching it down, so they're not going to like. I mean, I was very lucky with Bernie because BBC Three just happened. Mm. I was a new writer and it took a big risk on me. But now, nowadays, I know for a fact that BBC aren't, you know, it's all tried and trusted because if they're going to put any money in, they want international sales and they want it to be a success. And so there's, there's no risks anymore. The next topic of discussion was must-see movies, and what better way to start than by talking about the very film Nev had introduced during ID Fest earlier that day. All honest movies are must-see because they say that it's a comedy about suicide bombs. It's like, oh, I've got to go see that movie. Yeah. But the law doesn't... That doesn't always equate. But I do think there is... Film is... Simple ideas. If you can say to someone down the pub, oh, it's about this, yeah. like, that's a film, as opposed to that being about Four TV. Lines is a film, Four Lines is a film. Um, and it doesn't always equate to success because I can think of films and films which are good and films that you can describe in the same country which haven't done great business. When Mike Lee came up in conversation, Matt discussed the director as a purveyor of the real Britain, but was quick to add that maybe this wasn't a good thing. With Mike Lee, I don't know, with another year, I hated it, I loved it, and like most of his films, I do feel that he is, he is something that is particularly British. However, if that's what we are, we should really look at ourselves again. We shouldn't be speaking for We should look at Mike Lee and say, okay, that's one part of it. We should cherish it, yeah? But we should really start moving it away. Whilst Nev admitted the difficulties in knowing exactly what films worked and how. There just seems to be a lot of movies that seem to fall between two stools. And I don't know, because there are also a lot of movies which seem to me to be purely about really enterprise and commercial ideas or they would appear to fall in the system which don't do well so maybe just I know nothing you see nothing and you know nothing I see nothing and I know nothing never be and as the drinks ran dry and the carnival outside grew too tempting Matt and Nev pondered what might be next for British cinema and what exactly constitutes a British film especially considering the success of the likes of Kick-Ass and directors like Edgar Wright Kick-Ass has raised an interesting question that it can be done if you get people like Matthew Vaughan involved, now you've got, I mean, Guy Ritchie, maybe he should be looking at trying to do the same thing, because if there is that tier for us to go to, without without it actually having to be involved with, you know, the American studio system, I don't think it's a particularly wrong thing, you know what I mean? But you see, if, it, if that's the only thing that we we can do or have to strive but, for, then that's a big problem. Well, okay, he's kick a British film, or maybe the money comes back to Britain, I've no idea. But it's not a British story. Not a British actor. I, 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 I admire the fact they made it. British director, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, but it's set in. Because if you were to take a bunch of British like talent, so the, the Scott brothers and, say, Edgar Wright and Matthew Vaughan and Guy Ritchie, and you go, well, it's not like there's a shortage of 
good British directors or screenwriters, mm. but even the really good ones, and even the good ones who are still working in Britain, are they telling British stories? And on that expansive question, we retired. Well, I turned off the microphone anyway. This quadcast was produced for Quad by wordofmouthcreative.com.